Welcome to Crime Cults and Coffee. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Bren. And I was thinking of starting off today's episode with a fun fact. What's your fun fact? New Jersey indeed has earthquakes. That's insane. (laughs) (laughs) So for all of you that don't know, I didn't know that. I mean, I guess anything's possible. So I was in our apartment and... You know, I Carson said he had heard something and I wasn't home yet. And anyway, so we're talking about this. And then I go and look on our Facebook page for our apartment complex. And somebody posted, if anybody heard that loud noise, it was a 2.3 magnitude earthquake. Oh, my God. Yeah, I don't think anyone was hurt or any damage was done. I don't know what the ratings of earthquakes are. And I think that was a low one. But, like, I have zero clue how they're rated but Uh still I was like what the fuck that's crazy have you ever had experienced an earthquake no I haven't I've been living in Jersey my whole life and I've never experienced an earthquake unless it was so small that I just didn't even know which I guess is possible I've never experienced one right so weird (laughs) wow and then your uh your internet and stuff was out of commission right Yeah, I'm just like, what in the fuck is going on? Are we in an apocalypse? I fucking hope not. Right? So weird. But yeah, that happened the other day at like 5.30 p.m. So if you heard any loud noises in New Jersey. (laughs) Hmm. It was an an earthquake. (laughs) And it was an earthquake. (laughs) It was a cheesecake. (laughs) (laughs) It was just a cheesecake. It's okay. Oh my God. No, but it was an earthquake. How crazy. Yeah. God. Do you have any life updates? I have something new that I'm watching. Oh, okay. Amongst all my other 50 shows. <laughs> oh my god, okay. Oh, I know what you're gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't started it yet. You're gonna kill me. It came to my mind as you thought it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you got you start. No, you you talk you tell about that and then I'll continue with my new new show. Okay, so you're going to get mad because I haven't started the new season. I only watched one episode. Okay, so we're talking about Lock and Key, and if you have not fucking heard of it or have just wrote it off as something stupid, you need to fucking watch it. You have to watch Lock and Key. It's you so have good. To. It's on Netflix. Brynn and I used to stay up for hours watching the show, and then we would just at the end look at each other and be like, what? What just happened? <laughs> And they just came out with a new season, and Bryn texted me the other night. She's like, in all caps, Lock and Key has a new season. That's how I read it. <laughs> and we were, we were freaking out. Well, first I said KELS in big yes. capital letters. Yes. And you're like, what? And I was like, Lock and Key has a new season. Yeah. And I was going to start it that night, but then I got super tired after my nightly shower, so I decided to hold off until I was more up for it. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, episode one starts out with a bang. Oh my god. I'm obsessed with it. I didn't think I was going to be so obsessed, but I just love all the characters and the storyline. It's really, really good. Yeah, that show is incredible, and I'm very sad because I went online to check if there's going to be a fourth season, and everything I read said this is the last season. (gasps) No. Yeah, and not... Not because they didn't want to continue it, but because I think Netflix wanted to make sure it wrapped it up and it wasn't just, like, a lot of their other shows, sadly. 
like the society, the OA, a lot of the good ones just end and then the fans are left wondering what the fuck happened. But then you have like 12 seasons of absolute shit. Yeah, 12 seasons of shitty shitty bang bang. Netflix will keep it. (laughs) I don't understand. I don't understand. Especially with the OA, I really don't understand that choice. That one was so good. Yeah, and I need to know what happens with that show. So hopefully someone else will pick it up. Yeah. So what else are you watching? So did you ever used to watch Gossip Girl? Yes. Okay. Apparently I'm in a nostalgic kick. Remember how I said I was watching Pretty Little Liars and I finished that. Okay. So I saw the other night on HBO Max that there is another remake of Gossip Girl. What? Yeah. And it's called XOXO Gossip Girl. What? And at First, I was kind of skeptical about it because, first of all, I hate, like, I don't want to bash, but why are they feeling the need to remake these shows that ended 10 years ago? Okay, but was it good? (laughs) Yeah, well, then I'll get to that. So (laughs) I was skeptical and I was nervous because I loved Gossip Girl and I didn't want them to ruin it. Okay. But I'm like, let me give it a shot. Started episode one. And I'm on, like, episode four or five now. I love it. Wait, what is it called? (laughs) XOXO Gossip Girl. Oh, my God. I'm going to watch it tonight. It's so good. It's done differently, a little bit differently, but it's so good. The only complaint I have, the only complaint so far, is that there is a character that's a little bit too much like Chuck. And you can't remake Chuck. No, you really can't. He's one of the kind. Yeah, Chuck was the fucking best. And you cannot remake Chuck. And they're... It's a little too close to Chuck. And this is So far. Okay, I'm so excited. I'm going to watch this tonight. It's so good. They're drawing in names and characters from the old Gossip Girl. They bring up Nate Archibald in the first (gasps) episode. They're doing, like, callbacks. There's a kid whose mom is Georgina Sparks. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's so good so far. (laughs) So cool. Oh, my gosh, I'm excited. And then lastly, I have – I've not started it yet. I just bought a Kindle because I'm into this reading thing now. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what's wrong with me. I've never been super into reading, and now I am, and I just can't stop. There's not something wrong with you. (laughs) Reading is fun. I know. I don't know. I've been super into it. So (laughs) – I'm still on the Colleen Hoover train. I just started Reminders of Him. So not enough info yet to give you a review, but I will let you know. I heard it's like one of her best rated books. So I'm excited. Ooh. Yeah, I have to jump on the Colleen Hoover train, but I'm currently still, as always, on the Karen Slaughter train. And last week, I just bought two new books of hers. I already tagged her in a story. I melt into a puddle every single time she responds (laughs) to my stories that's so funny and I found two of her books I went to this bookshop in LBI and I was hoping I could find two of her books and I got them for a steal because there was a section where people you can bring books in and leave books and I got The Last Widow and The Silent Wife of hers and I cannot wait to start them Ooh, okay I'm gonna have to borrow them after Yes. So are we ready to get into our coffee? 
Yeah, so I can start. Okay. Today, I am reviewing a Green Mountain coffee, and I'm sure if anybody goes to the grocery store, they know what Green Mountain is. It's a, you know, a normal little K-cup that you can pick up at any grocery store. I think I got this one from ShopRite. Okay. And the flavor is brown sugar crumble. That sounds delicious. It smells fucking amazing. I leave my coffee. I'm so weird. I make coffee at my house every morning and I drink it on my way to work and I only finish like a quarter of it. I'm so weird. And then I leave the rest in my car. So when I get back in my car after work, it smells like brown sugar. Oh my gosh. So good. That's so I, I will say the smell is better than the taste. It doesn't taste like artificial or anything, but it smells a lot better and you really can't taste much of the brown sugar, I think at least. Okay. I really do like it. It's a good K-cup that you can buy easily. You know, it's a flavored coffee, which I love. And I believe it is a medium roast. So I, I don't know. It's a good It's a good grocery store coffee. Try it if you like flavored coffees. But I would rate this one probably like a seven. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. So the coffee that I'm drinking today is another super coffee. I had talked about them in another episode. It's all plant-based, and there's caffeine in it, but there's less sugar, there's no dairy, that kind of thing. So last time I had tried their basic vanilla one, and I remember I was kind of like, eh, about it. This time I tried the cinnamon roll, and with this one, I, I haven't tried all their coffees, obviously, but I think this one would probably be a top contender if I had to go with a super coffee, just because it has that cinnamon flavor. And I feel like while drinking it, it was really good, but the aftertaste is where I, it like lost points with me. Mm. It's almost, it's not, I want to describe it as chalky, but that's not the right word for it. It's, like, it's it's like stuck on your tongue. Yeah, and kind of doled out at the end. Okay. That's all I'm really going to say about that. But I would probably rate this one a six and a half, seven, okay. maybe, for, for what it is. Yeah. And again, like Kelsey said, this is kind of a grocery store coffee. You could probably find it at Weiss. I got this one in specific, I think, at... There was just a local bagel place that had it. You can probably get it at Quick Check, something like that. Okay, cool. So should we get started then? Yeah. All right. So grab your coffee and have a morning with us. So today's episode is actually another listener suggestion from Ashley. Thank you, Ashley. Thanks, Ash. We love when you guys suggest stories and cases to us that's, you know, it's something different for us, something that we haven't heard before. So we appreciate you. As always, I'm going to start off with the background. This case is known as the Las Cruces Bowling Alley Massacre. This event occurred in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and the town was described as a small college town. It occurred on February 10th, 1990. And the address of the bowling alley is 1201 East Amador Ave. And this was at an intersection. So East Amador Ave is also a very busy street. So Hmm. keep that in mind because that's going to make sense later. During this event, 
five people unfortunately lost their lives and two were injured. So I'm going to now talk about the people that were involved, the victims. Stephanie C. Senak was 34 years old at the time, and she was the manager of the bowling alley. Melissa Repass was Stephanie's daughter, and she was 12 years old. Amy Hauser was Melissa's friend, and she was 13 years old. Ida Holgeen was 33 years old. Steve Tehran was 26 years old. Valerie Tehran was two years old, and that's Stephen's daughter. And then Paula Holgeen was six years old. And just as a side note, this is Steve's stepdaughter, Stephen's stepdaughter. And I know we mentioned the same last name, Holgeen, but there is no relation between Paula and Ida. They had no family relation at all, even though they have the same last name. That's so interesting. I know. It's such a strange coincidence. Especially since I feel like if it were a common last name, okay, but I've never even heard of this last name. Me either. Me either. It's so such a weird coincidence. So February 10th, 1990, on that Saturday morning around 8 o'clock a.m., the bowling alley manager, Stephanie C. Senek, was getting everything ready for opening. She went into the office to add up receipts from the previous night. She was accompanied by her daughter, Melissa, and her daughter's friend, Amy. Melissa and Amy were planning on supervising the daycare at the bowling alley for the day. Which, like, I've never in my life heard of a daycare to bowling alley, but that's a great idea. That seriously is, especially if you're a parent in a bowling league. Right. How cute to have that Mm -hmm. option. Stephanie was in the office with Melissa while Amy was getting the daycare center ready. Ida, who was the bowling alley's cook, was in the kitchen. And Junior League Games for Kids was scheduled to start at 9 o'clock that morning at the alley. Oh my god, I have the chills. Around 8.20 a.m., two men suddenly entered the unlocked door. One man held Ida at gunpoint with a twenty-two caliber pistol and led her to Stephanie's office. Ida said that when the men entered the building, she initially thought they were part of the alley's maid service. Oh my god. When they arrived in the office, Stephanie, Melissa, and Amy were already held at gunpoint by the other man. According to Sergeant Phil George, and this is a quote from grunge.com, quote, the owner's daughter had opened the safe and was counting the money when this all happened. Oh my God. And that's Melissa again. Wow. Mm -hmm. The perps ordered the women to lie on the ground while they raided the bowling alley safe. They stole between four to $5,000 from the safe Wow. Which, that is a lot of money to keep in a safe at a bowling alley. And overnight. Right? You would think someone would take the money home at night or something. That is so much money. Steven, who again, uh, we talked about earlier, is the bowling alley's pin mechanic, entered shortly after. He entered with his two daughters, Valerie and Paula, as he could not find a babysitter. And he planned on putting them in the alley's daycare for the day. Oh, so they would have also been hanging out with Melissa and Amy that day. Yeah, it's just the whole, oh my god, just thinking about this, like, the reason they were there is because he couldn't find somebody to watch them. It just breaks my heart. 
That's so sad. A little fact about Steven, he had given his two weeks notice and was working his last couple of days at the bowling alley. My heart is breaking. That makes me sick. Steven didn't see anyone in the alley, so he went to Stephanie's office. The gunmen then gathered everyone in the office and shot all seven victims. They were shot multiple times at point-blank range, and upwards of 25 shots have been fired. For seven people, 25 shots. Oh my god. They then set fire to the office and fled. The fire was then reported around 8.33 a.m., So this is a very short time period between 8.20 and 8.33 is when all of this happened. Right. And they had only been there since around 8 o'clock. So all of this happened so quickly and it's just so devastating that there was so much destruction. Another terrifying fact, though, is 9 o'clock is when a kid's bowling league was supposed to be there. That's why I said I had the chills and this all happened at 8.30. It all was reported at 8.30. That is so freaking scary and heartbreaking. Amy Hauser, who again was Melissa's friend, and Paula Holgeen, who was Stephen's stepdaughter, and then Stephen Tehran, were dead on scene when the police arrived. Hmm. Valerie Tehran, who was Stephen's other daughter, was taken to the hospital but unfortunately died on arrival. Melissa Repass was shot five times and was still able to call 911, which led to her survival. Holy shit. I just can't even imagine what she had to go through. Neither can I. And especially this girl was shot at point blank range, but she was able to have the mindset still to make a phone call. Unbelievable. That's unreal. And I still also can't get past the fact that a father and his two daughters, that's almost an entire family right there. Yeah. Gone. The Crusoe Sun News reported, quote, one of the first things the 12-year-old said to the 911 operator shortly after they were connected was, quote, all of us were hurt. I think I'm the only one conscious. They shot me five times. Oh my god. I have the chills all over me. I I can't. She was not only able to describe the scene in detail, but she was also able to direct the officers to her location. That is mind-blowing to me. That she was able to even stay conscious, let alone have this thought process. She was able to tell them vivid detail. She was able to count the number of times she was shot. Unbelievable. So this next part comes with a trigger warning. If you do not want to listen to the 911 call, please skip to about four minutes ahead. The 911 call will now be played. Okay, we'll get 
hang on, take a deep breath. We've got patrol units in route. How many people are hurt? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven people are hurt? Yes, I think. I seven don't... subjects hurt. Okay. Okay, Melissa. It hurts. It hurts. Okay. Melissa, I've got an ambulance and I've got the police officers in route. They'll be with you just shortly. Okay. Okay. You didn't see what any of the no, men were wearing? No, they money. You didn't I see what any kind of the men were wearing or anything? No. Nothing. Uh, they just walked in? Uh-huh. Do you know if they were black men, white we're men? They were black men. They were both black. Two black men? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, they've left. Black male. Okay, okay. It's okay, Melissa. There's a fire too. There's a fire. Right on the desk. They're gonna burn us up. Are the men still there? I don't know. You don't know? I don't know. They put us in the office. They put you in the office? Yes, I need a fire engine too. Please help me. Ten two. Okay, Melissa. She said they locked them in the office. She doesn't know if they're still there or not. The door's open. There's a fire. It's on Amador, yeah. to it melissa's mother stephanie survived as well wow in 1999 she passed away nine years later due to complications from her injuries my heart hurts so bad it's just so awful and horrifying and then not only do they have to carry this pain with them and deal with the trauma from the situation but 
nine years later, this woman still dies from all of this. And poor Melissa had to grieve the loss of all of those people, including her friend. And then nine years later, as she was healing, her mom died. Yeah, that's fucking awful. Ida Holgeen, the Allie's cook, survived as well. She spent six months in the hospital. She had to relearn how to do basic tasks because of the severe trauma sustained to her head. God. Locals said they hadn't even noticed anything was out of sorts until emergency vehicles arrived. Initial reports made it seem like it was only a robbery. Wow. Which I think is so odd that there would be when i read that i was like by initial reports do they mean just word of mouth people saying all this or by initial reports did they mean it was reported in newspapers that it was a robbery i feel like it was probably initial reports meaning the public saw the fire Right. And they were like, oh, nothing looked out of place. You know, it was there was no cars in the parking lot except for the fire trucks. Yeah. Police set up 10 roadblocks around Las Cruces within an hour of the shooting. And they also screened people leaving the city. I feel like it was just too late. Within an hour? Yeah, I mean, they they did this in 10 minutes and they could have been gone before anyone even reported anything. Yeah, that's true. Well, especially with, I mean, these people were in and out. Right. You see how short the time frame is with how they moved and how they did things and had absolutely no regard for human life. It was clearly planned. Yeah. U.S. Customs Service Army and Border Patrol searched the area with planes and helicopters. So they were, I mean, they were trying the best they could. Yeah. It's just... I don't think it was anyone's fault. I just think it was naturally too late. Like, they probably were already gone. Yeah. Keep in mind, according to Captain Fred Rubio, quote, there were two homicides in Las Cruces in all of 1989 compared to six by February 1990. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And that was a quote from grunge.com. Wow. Getting into the investigation... Police questioned witnesses. Stephanie's brother, Steve, told police he drove past the bowling alley five minutes before the shooting. Like, what are the fucking chances? He actually worked at the bowling alley as well, and he had worked the night before but was off that day. Wow. He had gone to the alley briefly before it opened that morning to get his backpack that he had left there. Could you fucking imagine... Literally moments. Moments. Just horrifying. As he was leaving, he saw two Hispanic men walking towards the front of the building. One was older and one was younger. The older man then handed the younger man a briefcase and squatted down. I feel like when I read that, that's almost like... You're faking doing something to look to the ground. Yes. Or to pause for a second to see where someone's going. You know what I mean? Like someone fake tying their shoe. That rem- That's what it reminded me of. Right. Play it cool. Let this guy pass and see yeah. where he's going. Yeah. 
Later that day, police had stopped a van at one of the roadblocks that they set up. They thought these men could have possibly been the suspects that Stephanie's brother Steve had seen. These men also had lots of cash in the car. Oh. And it was not specified how much. So I don't know if it was the exact amount that was missing or not. They asked Stephanie's brother Steve to ID them, but he couldn't provide anything conclusive. So the men were then let go. I just like, I can't even believe that that's as far as that went. I hope they took down that license plate number. I hope they got identification from those men and have them on file somewhere. Right. Like, what? Hopefully there's more going on behind the scenes regarding that situation that we don't know about as the public. Mm -hmm. But that is sketchy as fuck. Right? So sketchy. Neighbors said that some of their dogs had been barking around 7.30 a.m. that morning. However, they had never heard any gunfire, which is crazy to me. That's so odd. Yeah. Especially being in such a busy area like we had mentioned. Right. Like, I get that it was a small town, but that area in specific had a lot of traffic. Yeah. Whether it be foot traffic or car traffic. So... It's just so odd. A local, however, named Albert Garcia said otherwise to the El Paso Times, stating, quote, it sounded like caps. He was allegedly across the street when it happened. So Mm -hmm. like a muffled sound he heard, I guess. Hmm. As we've heard in past episodes, most of the crime scene evidence was ruined due to improper containment of the scene, which is devastating. Mm hmm. Fire department and first responders trampled evidence as there was different to no procedures put in place compared to what we have today. This part of the story reminded me so much of the yogurt shop murders. Same. And that's, I think, part of it, too, when people are setting fire to crime scenes after they're expecting something like this to happen. Yeah, whether it be fire or water or just chaos. Mm Mm-hmm. Fire hoses, extinguishers, and the fire itself also destroyed evidence, of course. The victims were dragged out in attempts to save them, which, I mean, I understand, but at the same time, it's just so sad that this crime scene was just destroyed. Mm-hmm. And that having to do that to save a life, like you just said, I understand. But at the same time, too, now they can't see exactly where... Everything wasn't where it was, you know what I mean? Yeah. Forensic science was also not as advanced in the 1990s as it is now. Items were not preserved properly or areas were not as thoroughly checked. According to an article from the Toronto Sun, detectives do not have a DNA profile on the killers. However, they do have fingerprints. So, like, what? The fingerprints are not in the system? Yeah, that's the only thought I could think is we know that procedures were different back then and maybe for some reason their fingerprints were never put on file. Maybe for some reason they've never reoffended or they haven't been caught while right. reoffending. Um, that's what I mean. Like if they have the fingerprints. Right. There's obviously nothing in the system to compare them to. Yeah. 
No arrests were ever made, and this case is still under investigation by the Las Cruces Police Department, which is horrifying to me. Mm-hmm. Detective Amador Martinez was quoted on the subject in 2015, saying, quote, There is always an ever-changing shift in technology, so we're trying to utilize those the best we can. And that was a quote from grunge.com. That statement right there... It makes me feel like they have something. Right. Like, it's just been so long. In 2016, Stephen's brother, Anthony Tehran, was included in an issue of the Las Cruces Sun newspaper. And one of his remarks was noted, quote, in this day and age, things like this don't go unsolved. How did we not get these guys? That's the question I ask myself every day. Numerous people saw these gunmen, so someone out there knows something, and they need to come forward. I agree. Yeah, I it's agree. It's a busy road. People saw, you know, people walking around. How is this still not solved? And I don't understand how they literally shot an upwards of, of 25 times. How would they not be running from the building covered in blood? Right. And how would no one have thought it, like, suspicious seeing two men fleeing, probably running? Unless they were casually walking out. Yeah. But how would they not be covered in blood when it's that close range? Right. Unless they brought a change of clothes. Like, who knows how prepared these people were? Right. Like, it was clearly something, the robbery at least, was something that they had planned. Yeah. I think it's also just from that statement that the that his brother made, it's so palpable how much pain these families are in and the devastation they're still going through with having no answers to this. Yeah. As of February 10th, 2022, which is very recent, the reward for any information regarding this case is now at a total of $32,000. Charlie Min, who was a former journalist turned filmmaker, donated $7,000 of his own money. Go, Charlie. Yeah. The Las Cruces Donna Ana County Crime Stoppers added $25,000 to this reward. Oh, my and, God. Which is, that's a large amount of money. That's incredible. Charlie Min, who I'd mentioned before, donated the $7,000. He made a documentary about this event that we will discuss later on at the end, which is just amazing to me that he got so involved and then donated so much of his money. Honestly, I think we've mentioned this in other episodes or just to each other. If I had the kind of money to spend, yeah. this is the kind of stuff I'd be spending it on. Agreed. Agreed. Whether it be funding genetics testing, whether it be... Helping to solve these cold cases, putting out reward money, that's what, where I'd be putting my money. Agreed, 100%. Detective Amador Martinez said, quote, Some of the people who have been suspected of the crime in the past, their names have popped up again. And even though they've been looked into, I've decided we're going to do it all over again. <gasps> Chills. Oh, same. And that was a quote from grunge.com, by the way. Oh my gosh, I'm, that makes me so hopeful. I am so glad that this detective, Amador Martinez, is on the case. Agreed. 
I wonder if one of those names is a name that was written down from that car. I know. You have to wonder. Yeah. You saw a glimpse of somebody. That doesn't mean picking them out in a lineup rolls them out, you know? Mm-hmm. I also saw there's potential sketches of these perps that Stephanie's brother Steve helped them composite. I wonder if those men resembled them or not. Right. Like, you have to wonder. So getting into the suspect descriptions, both were described as Mexican, but obviously that might just be someone's perspective. Yeah. Both spoke English. Suspect one was described as a Hispanic male, approximately 5'10", and 160 to 170 pounds. He had brown hair and eyes, and his hair was described as wavy. At this time, he had a mustache, and no accent was noted. He was described as being in his late 20s or early 30s at the time of this case. Suspect 2 was Hispanic male, approximately 5'6", and around 140 pounds. He had gray and white hair. In some articles, it described it as like salt and pepper hair and brown eyes. And he was described to speak English with a slight Spanish accent. At this time, he was in his late 40s, early 50s. There were some theories that came along with this case. One of them was that this was a robbery gone wrong. Regarding this, they, the theory is that the men had planned on robbing the alley and became frustrated with how many people were there. I feel like that makes the most sense to me as well because they, I feel like they were going into this expecting for it to be early in the morning, maybe a couple people there to be super quick and then leave. But why did they have to murder people? I don't know. I feel like Jumping to murder because you're frustrated over how many people there are there is extreme. But then killing children on top of it, I feel like that level of evil had to already have been there. Yeah, I think that they were soulless and were going to do whatever it took for literally $5,000. Yeah, that's fucking awful. So many lives for $5,000. Another theory was that it was drug-related. Ida said she swore she had seen these men prior to the robbery. She said, quote-unquote, the men, quote, were looking for something else before they went to the safe. And that was a quote from grunge.com. Interesting. Another theory, which I think kind of ties into that one, was that This was all connected to the owner of the bowling alley. Ron Senak allegedly had ties to cartels. Hmm. The owner's younger son also had a history of drug use. The Las Cruces Police Department investigated the men, but nothing solid came from it. And a little bit of a side note, the El Paso Times reported that Ron Senak opened the alley six days after the massacre. Yo, what? Yeah. 
Are I'm you sorry, kidding? whether you're involved or not. That place should I don't have un- never been reopened. No, and I don't understand how it took six days to decide, oh, making money at my bowling alley again is more important than dealing with this, processing this, letting the community process this, letting the family have their time to mourn. Like, who is going to that bowling alley? I don't know. That is horrible. Yeah, and... I had also read that there was, and take this with a grain of salt, but allegedly there was also a picture of him in the newspaper, I guess maybe that the bowling alley was reopened or it was regarding something else. There was a picture of him in the newspaper around the same time, smiling in the office where this, where these people were murdered. Like what? I mean, everyone processes things in their own way. We've discussed this on the podcast. Everyone copes in their own way. But I don't, whether he's involved in this or not, I don't think it takes much to say that a good human would take more time than that to reopen their establishment where people were massacred. It just feels so disrespectful. Yeah. So another theory was that this was a professional hit. And this is kind of what I lean towards, to be honest. Yeah. Tied in maybe with one of the other things we mentioned, whether it be a robbery, a cartel connection, or a drug-related thing. I think that this was done by someone on the professional side. Potentially, this was in connection to the owner's family, as mentioned. Some think it could have been a hit in order to send a message I guess, to the owner of the establishment. Mm -hmm. This could tie into Ida feeling like she had seen the men before if they had been casing the place. That would make sense. Yeah, and I feel like that would explain how they knew what time to be there in the morning. They knew what time the place opened. Maybe if they had been watching, maybe typically there would only be one person or two people opening in the morning. In which case that would then tie into what you had said, where they could have gotten frustrated because if they had been casing the place and only two people showed up every morning and all of a sudden there's more and more people showing up while they're trying to do this. Right. It kind of threw their plan off. Insane. Or they just went in with the mindset of whoever's there, we're killing and that's it. Right. Like anybody's a witness. Yeah. Wow. And Detective Chuck Franco said that the type of weapon used and quote-unquote execution-style shots pointed to a professional committing the murders. That's very interesting. Yeah, I think that the way it was done was definitely planned and did come off as a professional kind of, whether this person's a quote-unquote professional hitman or whether this person's done it before they were cold and calculated exactly like they had a one-track mind of what was going to happen when they went in there so getting on to some movies and tv series that were made later on about this event a nightmare in las cruzas is a documentary that was released on the 20th anniversary of the shooting Unsolved Mysteries covered this case two and a half months after the shooting. 
America's Most Wanted covered it in 2004 and again in 2010. Wow. And there was also an I Survived episode about Ida, who, of course, survived this horrible massacre. I couldn't find the exact episode number, so if I do, I will post it later on, but I had trouble finding it. I mean, that interview must have been really intense because I had read that the survivors do not openly talk about it all the time. It's more so family members or family members of those who have passed who kind of openly speak about it because obviously they want justice for their family members. Not saying that the victims don't want justice, but obviously the victims experienced it. It's just so traumatizing and I... I just can't even imagine going on from something like that and having to live a normal life. Like, you have to go back to your normal life. Yeah. And that's... Living through something so fucking horrible. You really can't even grasp or get in the mindset of someone who's survived or endured something of this type of nature because you can't be like, oh, well, if I did that, I'd be talking all about it. Or, oh, if I did that, I wouldn't talk about it either because... Part of you would want to speak up for it and like verbally demand justice. But then I feel like part of you would not want to continue to live your life stuck in what happened. Right. You'd want to move on. It's just like you said, everybody reacts to grief differently in a completely different way. And, you know, there's no right or wrong way for anybody, no matter what the situation. And this was obviously something horrible and traumatizing. So... I just can't believe that the people that did this just lived their lives like nothing had happened after they caused so much destruction and pain to these people. Part of me was just thinking, I hope they didn't live their lives like nothing happened and maybe they got nabbed for something else. But unless their fingerprints aren't on record, they didn't. Right. Which is just fucking awful. These families deserve justice. We say this all the time, but that that's what it is. That's what it is at face value. I hope that they got the worst karma. I don't understand how, as a human being, you can come up with a plan like this, because clearly it was planned, and go through with it, and not only go through with it, but take the lives of people who just walked in there unexpected or of children that were there or even the people that were expected there. Why couldn't you just take the money and leave if that was... Right. It just, it still breaks my heart too about Steven and his two daughters. Like he was literally, it was one of his last days being there and this happened. Right. His whole family pretty much was gone. That's just so sad. So this is your call to action. If you have any information regarding this case, please contact Crime Stoppers. You can call them at 1-800-222-8477 or at 575-526-8000. You can also go on NM, as in New Mexico, crimestoppers.org. Or you can go to Crime Stoppers app, which I didn't know they had an app. I didn't either. Yeah, it's available on the App Store. It's called P as in Paul, 3-T-I-P-S, P3 Tips. Wow, that's very convenient. 
Yeah. Everyone has access to that. Right. And it's anonymous. And I just, I can't stress it enough. Like somebody has to know something about these horrible things that happen. Like there's little tiny puzzle pieces that could fill in something huge that you don't even know that's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. (sighs) Well, on that note, unfortunately we have nothing happy to end on other than hope that this case is still being looked into and investigated. Yeah, which the detective has seemed to make clear. And you know what? I'm putting my something happy into DNA genetics yep. and DNA technology. We're rooting for you. We are. We're big fans. Please help solve this case. All right. Do you have anything you wanted to add before we ended this case? I don't think so. I think we need to just dive into our little spiel here, unless you have anything else. Yeah, I think we should dive into the spiel. Okay. So you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Crime Cults and Coffee. Facebook is where we post our weekly resources and photos from every case. We will also this week, of course, put all of the call to action phone numbers and contacts that you can get in touch with or share with anybody that would know anything about this case. And our Instagram is where we post our weekly reviewed coffee and photos from each case. Also in the link in our bio is all of our listening platforms that we are currently on. Yeah, make sure to check that out. If you would like to give us a case suggestion like Ashley did or a listener story, you can DM us at Crime Colts and Coffee on Instagram. Or you can send us an email at crimecoltsandcoffee at gmail.com. We check both daily. If you like our podcast, the best way to let us know, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. We deeply appreciate them when they happen. It really helps our podcast out. It helps other people to find it. You'll get free stickers. If you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, you can like, you can follow, you can subscribe on any listening platform of your choice. And that will let you know when a new episode comes out each week. Yes. So thank you guys for listening. And we will talk to you next week. XOXO Gossip Girl. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Regarding this case and our resources, follow us at Crime Cults and Coffee on Instagram and Facebook.